Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. If you've spent time on different teams, you've probably experienced teams that work well together, teams that are fun to be a part of as well as teams that just grate against your soul. And if that's the case, you probably would rather be on the team that you enjoy working for. And if you're a leader, you probably want to create teams like that for your employees and for the people working under you. If that's the case, then you're going to want to listen to today's guest, and he's going to be able to share with you some resources he's developed to help you do just that. We're going to get to a little bit more about him in just a second, but first... It's great when you have time to listen to podcasts, but sometimes you just need to get straight to the facts. And that's why we've put together the Leadership Action List. It's a year's worth of weekly action steps to improve your leadership. If you want to be a noticeably different leader in one year, this simple but effective resource is for you. Download this list for free at leadershipactionlist.com. Once again, for an entire year of weekly leadership development, go to leadershipactionlist.com. Our guest today is a coach who works with executives, entrepreneurs, and rising stars to maximize their leadership potential and performance. He's the best-selling author of Social Wealth, a how-to guide on building extraordinary business relationships, which has sold more than 45,000 copies. He was a featured speaker at TEDx Wilmington 2017, where he debuted his breakthrough team-building game, Cards Against Mundanity. He also hosts a podcast called Executive Breakthroughs, bringing game-changing CEOs, entrepreneurs, and experts who share their breakthroughs and breakdowns. Here is Jason Troy. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's uh, great to be on your show and speaking to your fantastic tribe. So Jason, I'd like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. You ready for these? I'm ready. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? I've been fortunate to be around people where they have appreciated building relationships with people. And so I've had several people say something like, you know, no one's ever created anything by themselves, like sitting on a mountain. It's always in collaboration or with or through other people. And I think that that's true. And I think you have to be a master at building relationships with people. It's not something you can opt out. And it is something that is a learned behavior. And there are people that are naturally gifted at it, but they still have to do work to get to the level that's required, especially today. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is... Someone who is vulnerable, curious and gets continual feedback. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I would be asking the question, 
that I have a lot of my clients ask is, how would you rate our relationship on a scale of one to 10, one being poor and 10 being great? Why did you rate it? And how can I move it closer to a 10? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? I would say anything by Brene Brown. I think that the underlying things about empathy, vulnerability, courage, communication, the things that she covers are what I call power skills, not soft skills. And they're absolutely critical today in this current environment and moving forward more than ever generationally. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I would say asking more questions and getting more feedback. And I would say probably the little, the, the underneath it was to invest in your own self-awareness because your own blind spots are what's sabotaging your success more than you realize. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I like to ask the question, What? Right. Because I even opt out because I think a lot of times it sometimes why matters, but sometimes like what's going on and like, can you get to the bottom of what's happening by inquiring there is a more powerful word or even how. So, Jason, we are here today to talk about you and the work that you do with executives, entrepreneurs and rising stars. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into this work of coaching and some of the things that are really important to you that you want to make sure that the people that you work with walk away with as far as as principles and practices and skills and things like that. Well, I think, you know, originally I had an opportunity to go to work in Silicon Valley after law school and get my master's in communications. And I got to work with Steve Jobs, Mark Cuban. I mean, a lot of really well-known CEOs and venture capitalist firms and people that are, you know, the top of the industry today overall. And also, you know, I got to see the things they did well, the things they didn't do well, the times that they did great. And then also I had, you know, the myriad of other leaders up and down the spectrum and the one thing that I, I found all the time was that when you can create an environment where people are doing their greatest work in collaboration and teamwork, you could create pretty insane results. And I saw that in startup companies, right, that were super small that ended up being some gigantic company. It started with a few people that were able to work together better than companies, you know, five, ten hundred times larger than them. So for me, it, it, it was about the relationships, the collaboration, the teamwork, the experience people have, and how can you empower to bring out the best in them um, through everything that they're doing. And the requirement for that is deep self-awareness, is consistent learning, right? Is the relationships is asking questions and obviously learning, you know, not only your discipline, but you have to learn other disciplines in the business in order for you to do well. And I think you're seeing that now that no longer can you be a great CFO. You have to be a CFO that actually understands human resources and the rest of the departments in order for you to do your job well and to do job planning and other things. And that goes, especially HR people, you know, before you're like, you're, well, I know HR well. Well, now you have to know every business and help every function because now the people management and the people side of the business is taking the forefront in everything that we're doing. So 
I think when you take a look at all the breadth today of what is expected and what is required of an individual, you have to get help both internally and externally in order to manage your career because you won't be able to do it by yourself anymore. So there's no way to think through all these things. And that kind of goes back to something that we read in your bio. You mentioned the career blueprint. Could you talk to us a little bit about what a career blueprint looks like? Well, when I look at that for someone, I look at where their current role is today, right? And the challenges and opportunities that they're having. And then to have conversations about where is it that you want to be in your organization or in your industry. And then also, you know, on the outside of that, is there anything entrepreneurial that you want to do? And I think when you look at that, you have to start building it out in multiple ways, not just one way. And you really have to think through what are the skill sets I need? What are the things I have to learn? What are the soft or power skills I have to learn? Right. And then perhaps if you're interested in entrepreneurial things, well, then what is required for me to start to figure out what that is? And I think once you start working on all of those things and building out the areas that you need to do, and the first place to start, right, people always ask is your own self-awareness, right? Because if what's inside of you and your the way that you see the world is skewed, which it is, right, because it comes from, you know, how you grew up and what you learned, and your blind spots that are getting in your way, well, then that's going to sabotage your success, right? And that's every single person I work with has blind spot issue and self-awareness issue. I don't care how successful they are, and it's holding them back significantly. And once you remove that, then the rest of the growth path is much easier because you're not tripping over your own feet, right? And at some point, everyone hits, you constantly hit a ceiling because of patterns that you've learned that are at some point potentially could have helped you that are now hurting you or things that have always sort of held you back, but you've been able to rise up beyond them to a certain point. But now the headwinds are making it so your growth is slowing down. So as you're thinking back through a number of the people you've worked with in the past, do you see any any particular things that leaders across the board or uh, maybe leaders frequently should be thinking about and reflecting on as far as blind spots that they may have, or maybe, you know, strengths they may have they're not recognizing and things like that. Yeah, I think it's really difficult in terms of like specific things, because everyone has different things. Like, I mean, there's nothing that jumps out that I mean, I'd say listening probably tends to be a little bit of a challenge that rises up probably more than other ones. And that's, I think, eliciting feedback, eliciting feedback from people that are different than yourself. And I think asking more questions is probably one of the ones that probably happens more than other ones do. And I think a lot of that is because when you're at that level, or really a lot of people that don't just get proper feedback from people, meaning that a performance review from your manager or someone doesn't really give you that much insights one person and getting a traditional 360 isn't the greatest thing either. So what I do for clients and what people can do on their own is get feedback from people that you know and trust and get along with well. And it could be a person who may be one of your detractors and have frank conversations and ask questions and then look at the patterns 
that you get from them to figure out the areas that you need to work on. And I think getting all that feedback is really helpful. But I think the other part of it is just, you know, as you're, as you're doing stuff, the more feedback and questions you can ask of other people consistently is where you get a lot more insights because those people can help you. And I think that's where people don't spend enough time on is just getting the data because then you have an opportunity to analyze it and find, you know, the patterns and things that either are working or things that are not working. Do you feel like there are any good questions to be asking or does it depend on the leader and what some of their strengths and weaknesses are? You know, I think one of the things, if you're a leader, what you need to do is, one, you need to know where your relationships are with people. So that's why I had people ask the question, the one through 10 question of how do you rate your relationship? Because I think it's important to understand where that actually lies. And when you have super vulnerable conversations with other people, um, the answers they give back isn't important as just having the conversation. And most people just avoid it and assume they know where it is, right? And I had hundreds of people, I had more than 100 people try this exercise. And I essentially said I would give them six months of free coaching if they could pick a number that would be either plus or minus one of what everyone of all their reports would have, as long as they had at least five or more direct reports and no one got it right. Everyone was off by at least two numbers or more mm. of what people actually really thought when they asked them. So I think that's the challenge is the first place is to start there. I think you also have to ask questions of, of people and giving feedback on initiatives that you're doing, right? And you do that in a way where you're getting group feedback and you start with the most junior person in the room, right? I think that there's a lot of things in the feedback mechanism with people, like what suggestions could you make for the group to do better? Like what's one idea for teamwork? that you could, that you think we could do better and implement it. And I want everyone to come with suggestion in two weeks, having people solve their own problems and come up with them um, and things of that nature. So people do hacks, right? Where they've had people given 48 hours to come up with something that they could department could do significantly better. I think a lot of it's just getting feedback, asking questions and having people try to solve the problems and get invested in them. Because once you start that, what happens is then people start bringing you information early and start sharing challenges instead of you having to pull it. And the problem with a pull, pull model is you're one person. And you have to pull from people above you, next to you, all the way around. But if you get it pushed to you, it's way easier for you because then you're getting the data and can act on it, right? And it's much and, and you're getting earlier on, and you know people are coming to you because they believe you can take action and you're listening. So it's really all about asking different sets of questions in your one-on-ones and groups and other things at a different period of time. And even in an organization, I've seen people. Um, where if I've had them ask all the managers ask a specific question on a monthly basis in their one-on-ones and just do a different one every month and then compare it and, and get together and ask and get to see the feedback that people are getting, right? Because maybe it's not just a problem or issue from one person. It's, it's, it's across the board. So a lot of this is trying new things. And I especially think in this current environment, you've got to be willing 
to stop looking around and thinking someone else has the answers and start to pioneer and start to co-create and start to get into uncertainty and start doing things individually and collectively as a group, or you're going to be really far behind. Another thing you've mentioned a couple times so far in this interview is power skills. Could you talk a little bit more about what you mean by those? Break them down for us a little bit and give us some insight into the importance of power skills. Well, when you look at what hiring managers are saying when I'm out there looking and having conversations right now, power skills like the soft skills, right? They're like empathy, they're listening, they're being vulnerable, they're communication, they're teamwork. They're not the hard skills that you learn, like accounting that you could learn through a program, right? That you continually get updated on a computer screen. It's much harder to learn these skills. You can learn them in a modality the digital, but you have to practice them and get actual real feedback from them to implement them and master them and get better. So they're more of a long range things. But study after study, I look at the difference between great employee experiences, right? And you look at it, what those companies are doing, um, like Wilson, Watson, Wyatt, I can't remember the name of it right now, if that's the right one or not. But last year published a study and like the, the top five things that separated out those companies, right? And that also goes to their revenue and profit were all things that were soft skills. When you take a look at any function of a leader today, any of the things, will, you know, the five things that you're seeing, at least three will be soft skills, if not more. So you have to learn these and figure them out And also, you can learn best practices on the questions to ask and processes that other people are doing. So it can shortcut it, but also teach you when you start asking these questions, you will see the reactions on people's faces. But a lot of this is just practicing it, getting feedback, getting better, and even telling people around you, look, one of the things I'm challenged on is I need to be a better listener. I need to be more empathetic. I need to be doing this. Please let me know if you don't see me doing this or if you have ideas and suggestions how I can do it better. You don't have to necessarily implement all of those things, but having some awareness and knowledge is really important. And you can enroll other people in the solution rather than it be all on you. And the other thing that's great for is then you know how you're doing and other people are usually more, they're working with you on them instead of judging you in silence and not telling you. So before we started recording, this is something that actually made me wish we were already recording when this part of our conversation came up. But before the interview, we were talking about, or you were sharing about the growing distance that you think will will occur between different types of leaders. Could you talk a little bit more about that as well? Well, I think one of the things that's happening, Gartner came out with a study that I was looking at that, you know, the new skills that someone's going to be required to do in 2021 to 2028 compared to they were, I think, like six or seven years ago per year, how many skills they have to learn and and really master. And it's, you know, now there was 18 skills or something like that, that you have to have for like leaders and managers. And that's a lot more. And it's most of those are new skills that you didn't actually have. So that's going to be a game changer. They published another study. They said that, you know, 93% of managers are unprepared for the future. They don't have the skills, abilities, and 77% of leaders. So I think what's going to happen is that in this world where you have to work more remotely, 
than you ever have been before, because we don't know when this pandemic is going to end, people are going to go. But even if they do, something new and some new disruption is coming in, because that's what they've also found, is that there'll be more and more disruptions every year, whether it's M&A, whether it's, you know, natural things in business. So you as a leader are going to have to get significantly better in all areas of managing other people, leading the organization, your vision, the people management, the hiring, onboarding, all the things that you have to do are going to be raised to the next level. So that's going to require you to do the work, it's going to require you to learn it, that's going to require you to get feedback and continually implement it. So you're going to have to do this as more and more of your job, right? The other part of it is more and more people are going to require your coaching and your time one-on-one, right? I think the stat was that most HR people think that sales managers are spending 30% of their time coaching. They're only doing 10. Well, the things I've seen now, people are more complaining that are remote, that they want more feedback in time with their managers. Well, their managers now are working actually more than they had been pre-pandemic in order to manage it all. Well, that all has to break down. So you have to get better at your job so you can do more things at once. So you're going to have to invest in getting better on these areas. And you, you, you can't rest on the fact that maybe you did them well before because now it is very difficult to work with people remotely. I don't know any manager. I've met anyone that's great at doing it remotely. People think they are. But then when I talk to the people that are working at, they're like, oh, I think it's good. You know, we have a pretty good team. No one says we have a great team, right? Or my manager is incredible at managing remotely. Like I have a better relationship with that person than the person I'm working with in the office. And I haven't heard that. So that's going to require people to figure that out. And the relationship side is super hard. And building great teams and teamwork and culture and experiences between people are all learned behaviors and have to be intentional and strategic and prioritized. And those are really hard because very, very, very few people are great at teamwork and teaching it. Again, I haven't run into almost any that can do that and have a plan and process in place in order to do it. It's more haphazard or in the environment they're currently in. So all of this stuff says to people, I have to spend educational time every week or every month learning. I have to get a coach. I have to do other stuff. I have to avail myself of the learning opportunities in my own company or organization. And I better be doing this consistently. And I better be finding out best practices that other people are doing, which require me to go to a conference, whether that's online or somewhere else, and dedicating time in order to do this, which will probably have come in the expense of nights, weekends, or whatever. But if you don't, other people will. And that will put you behind in where you need to go and the things that be required. And I think the last part of this is that people now have to learn, again, cross-discipline, right? People that are the CFOs, now they're having to learn HR and other tactics in the job planning um, and figuring out what roles people have. They've been doing a horrible job and they're spending considerably more money per hire because they don't have really good future job planning insights into it. You're seeing HR people now where the te- people part of the equation, obviously with everything going on moving forward, is, 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 is now at the executive table. Well, they have to learn the rest of the business to have more of these conversations with the head of sales, the head of operations, the president, the CEO, everyone else, in order to really sit at that table over the long term. So that leads me to a question that 
I thought of when you were sharing something earlier, and that's that's the relationship between connection and performance. You were talking about that relationship, and I'd like to hear from you a little bit about what you learned from some of the organizations you've observed and worked with, and then what are some practical steps that organizations and leaders can take to make sure that they build and maintain a strong connection so that they can be those high-performing teams and organizations that you were talking about earlier? Yeah, there's an incredible amount of data out there when it comes to high-performing cultures, high-performing organizations, high-performing teams, and the difference. And I mean, it's double, triple. I mean, Harvard had a study that was like 900% higher. So I mean, I won't go into, you know, sharing all the data, but there is an incredible amount out there. So it is a strategic advantage for any organization you can scale, you're much more nimble, you won't lose as much talent. So I think all of that is going to the fact that people need to have these relationships with other people. Belonging connection is at the core of everything. You know, when I talk to people and you really get down into the data, right? I was reading some Harvard researcher that was going through like logs that people did every day for over a year in a myriad of different jobs about their job satisfaction. End of the day, when we looked at all the connections, it came down to two things that people wanted. They wanted to do great work and they wanted to have great relationships and that's it. They don't want free lunches. Everything else was nice, but if they didn't do great work where they felt accomplished and fulfilled and they didn't have meaningful relationships with the people that are working with, they didn't have job satisfaction across the board. And I think that that is something people have to keep in mind, right? The rest of it's nice, but that's not really what people want and what makes it you feel good at the end of the day and why you'll stay somewhere. So I think part of that, when you think about building relationships and building teams, where people fall down consistently, and when I started on this journey really looking at this six years ago, I found is it all comes back to one place, and that's trust. And last year, Marcus Buckingham showed research in Harvard Business Review's May issue that highlighted this once again from a lot of the other issue. And it, you know, he shared in a scale of one to 10, right? And if everyone in the team rated their manager, Right. And one would be there. Um, they have extreme distrust and number five would have extreme trust. And the difference was, is that I've had a four, which I trust you, your engagement would be at that of a one, meaning extreme distrust. Everyone in the team had a vote of five. And if it did, you had eight times more engagement and you'd see equivalent productivity increases. So when you look at that, the bar is really high if everyone in the team has to give you a five, right? I mean, that's not easy for you to do. So you have to figure out how do we have diversity of thinking? How do we create psychological safety? How do we do all that? And that trust comes down, I found, to one thing that you can do that's to have deep knowing with people and to know them extremely well and to understand them as well as the people that care about them the most. And it doesn't mean you have to like the people you work with. It means you have to know them extremely well. And that requires you to ask questions. So when I created that game, Cards Against Mundanity, 
What I did was I found some research by Professor Arthur Aaron back in 1997, and he was trying to build interpersonal closeness between like two people. So we took grad students and he had them ask 36 questions over 45 minutes. And it was, they were asking each other pretty vulnerable questions. Like one of the last questions was, tell me three things that you like about me. And these were complete strangers that had never met before until they sat down. So imagine how hard it is to look at someone in the eyes and say to them, well, here are three things I like about you. I know nothing about you other than the questions I asked, but I have to tell you them. Well, what was insane and they've replicated this study, you know, dozens and dozens of times over geographies, ages, genders, everything you can think of, is 30% of the people rated their relationship with the complete stranger that that person made in 45 minutes as the closest relationship in their life, right? That means I could take anyone listening here, put you on Zoom video with three complete strangers you've never met, and you'd walk away with a best friend. Wow. Now, when you do that in a group activity, right, and you do that, that's even where it's more powerful. And the reason is this. If you ask a question of someone that's saying, hey, what's the most important lesson you've learned in the last year? Tell me about the person that you'd say thank you for helping you become the person you are today. Or or, or talking about what's the biggest setback you've had in the last five years and how'd you overcome it? Or what's your greatest achievement, right, in the last couple of years and why was it important for you, right? If you ask questions like that and everyone answers it in a group, you get to know people, not only an experiential level, but an emotional issue. And you start to see people saying like, wow, that person who I thought was different is a lot like me. And you're learning deep emotional things that you'd only know about the closest people in your life. And often the closest people in the life, you don't even you don't even know the answers to those questions, right? And so when you start doing that, you create a major sea change because the trust levels that you build are extremely high with people with knowing that information. And there's other exercises beyond doing something just like this, but it's one that's absolutely critical to do. And you can do it in a myriad of things, right? You could do it with your team. You could do it with cross teams. You could do it with other leaders. You could do it with other managers. I mean, you can do this in a myriad of ways. And it's just important to ask questions that are meaningful. And I'm sure you can also ask fun questions. But the point of it is, is that the questions and the answer are what builds the relationships with people, right? It's because you think about it this way, it's not the crazy experiences you've been at work with people where you grow as close to them. It's rehashing those experiences and retelling those stories over the years, just like you do with friends that maybe you don't see for 10 years, but you went to college with. And you tell those stories again, and all of a sudden it feels like you're picking up just where you left off at that point. Well, that's the amazing things about stories and sharing information. And that is the root of trust because when you look at trust, the most important characteristics is caring. And you care about people that you know the most about because that's what you do in your personal life. Well, Jason, if people have connected with what you have shared today, where can they go to learn more about you and your work and your card game, Cards Against Mundanity? So you can go to my website and that's jasontroy.com. That's jasontreu.com. And then you can find information on Cards Against Mundanity. There's a free version and there's a paid actual card version of it. And then my book, Social Wealth, is on Amazon. And then I have other coaching and team services as well that's there and speaking and all the rest of that fun stuff. Jason, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. 
If you'd like to follow up with Jason based off of what you've heard in today's interview, be sure to go to his website, jasontroy.com. And remember that Troy is spelled T-R-E-U. You can find that link in the show notes below, as well as other ways to connect with Jason. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. You can no longer be good at just one thing. In order to do your job well, you have to be able to operate effectively in multiple areas. This is something that is increasingly true. There are a lot of things that are expected of people these days and add into that the digital environment that we've found ourselves thrown into over the last year. You need to be sure that you're able to do multiple things well and that will set you apart from other people. But it's not just a matter of being set apart. People really need you to operate effectively because when you're able to do your job better as a leader, other people are able to do their jobs better as well. The second key takeaway is this. When you get down into the data, people want two main things, and Jason shared these two things. First of all, they want to do great work, and second, they want to have great relationships. If you can give people great work and great relationships, they are going to be excited about what they're doing. And finally, if you do only one thing, do this. Have a deep understanding of your people. I remember a piece of advice my dad gave me years and years ago, and that is to ask consequential questions. Ask questions that actually matter and get to deeper things rather than just staying on the service level. Know what motivates people, know what people get excited about, and know how to help them live into their strengths and their purpose so they're excited about what they're doing. And speaking about being excited about what you're doing, one thing that keeps people excited is growth and action. And if you're looking to stay engaged and growing in 2021 as a leader, I encourage you to go to leadershipactionlist.com and download your free leadership action list to give you great ideas on how you can be acting each week to improve your leadership. This is going to be a great tool for 2021, and I encourage you to download it today and to get into action. We'll be back once again next week with great leadership content. And until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. 
If Business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.